0: CHESED CHAPTER Twenty Three. The analogy of opposites is the relation of light to shadow, peak to abyss, fullness to void. Allegory, mother of all dogmas, is the replacement of the seal by the hallmark, of reality by shadow. It is the falsehood of truth and the truth of falsehood. Elipha Lévy, Dogme de la Haute Magie, Paris, Ballyeire, 1856 Roman 22, 22 I went to Brazil out of love for Amparo. I stayed out of love for the country. I never did understand how it was that Amparo, a descendant of Dutch settlers in Recife who intermarried with Indians and Sudanese blacks, with her Jamaican face and Parisian culture, had wound up with a Spanish name. For that matter, I never managed to figure out Brazilian names. They defy all onomastic dictionaries and exist only in Brazil. Amparo told me that in their hemisphere, when water drains down a sink, the little eddy swirls counterclockwise, whereas at home ours swirls clockwise. Or maybe it's the other way around. I've never succeeded in checking the truth of it. Not only because nobody in our hemisphere has ever looked to see which way the water swirls, but also because, after various experiments in Brazil, I realized it's very hard to tell. The suction is too quick to be studied, and its direction probably depends partly on the force and angle of the jet and the shape of the sink or the tub. Besides, if this is true, what happens at the equator? Maybe the water drains straight down with no swirling, or maybe it doesn't drain at all. At that time I didn't agonize over the problem, but Saturday night in the periscope I was thinking how everything depended on telluric currents, and the pendulum contained the secret. Amparo was steadfast in her faith. The particular empirical event doesn't matter, she said. It's an ideal principle which can be verified only under ideal conditions, which means never, but it's still true. In Milan, Amparo's disenchantment had been one of her most desirable traits. But in Brazil, reacting to the chemistry of her native land, she became elusive, a visionary capable of subterranean rationality. Stirred by ancient passions, she was careful to keep them in check, but the asceticism which made her reject their seduction was not convincing. I measured her splendid contradictions when I watched her argue with her comrades. The meetings were held in shabby houses decorated with a few posters and a lot of folk art, portraits of Lenin and Amerindian fetishes, or terracotta figures glorifying the congaseros, outlaws of the Northeast. I hadn't arrived during one of the country's most lucid moments politically, and after my experiences at home, I decided to steer clear of ideologies, especially in a place where I didn't understand them. The way Amparo's comrades talked made me even more uncertain, but they also roused a new curiosity in me. They were naturally all Marxists, and at first they seemed to talk more or less like European Marxists, but the subject somehow was always different. In the middle of an argument about the class struggle, they would suddenly mention Brazilian cannibalism or the revolutionary role of Afro-Brazilian religions. Hearing them talk about these cults convinced me that at least ideological suction down there swirled in the opposite direction. They described a panorama of internal migrations back and forth, the disinherited of the North moving down toward the industrial South, where they became sub-proletarians in immense, smog-choked metropolises, eventually returning in desperation to the North, only to repeat their flight southward in the next cycle. But many ran aground in the big cities during these oscillations, and they were absorbed by a plethora of indigenous churches. They worshipped spirits, evoked African divinities. And here Amparo's comrades were divided. Some considered this a return to their roots, a way of opposing the white world. Others thought these cults were the opiate with which the ruling class held an immense revolutionary potential in check, and still others maintained that the cults were a melting pot in which whites, Indians, and blacks could be blended. For what purpose they were not clear. Amparo had made up her mind. Religion was always the opiate of the people, and pseudo-tribal cults were even worse. But when I held her by the waist in the Escolas de Samba, joining in the snaking lines to the unbearable rhythm of the drums, I realized that she clung to that world with the muscles of her belly, her heart, her head, her nostrils— Afterward, she was the first to offer a bitter, sarcastic analysis of the orgiastic character of people's religious devotion, week after week and month after month, to the rite of carnival. Exactly the same sort of tribal witchcraft, she would say with revolutionary contempt, as the soccer rituals in which the disinherited expended their combative energy and sense of revolt, practicing spells and enchantments, to win from the gods of every possible world the death of the opposing halfback completely unaware of the establishment which wanted to keep them in a state of ecstatic enthusiasm, condemned to unreality. In time I lost any sense of contradiction, just as I gradually abandoned any attempt to distinguish the different races in that land of age-old unbridled hybridization. I gave up trying to establish where progress lay, or where revolution, or to see the plot, as Amparo's comrades expressed it, of capitalism. How could I continue to think like a European once I learned that the hopes of the far left were kept alive by a Nordeste bishop suspected of having harbored Nazi sympathies in his youth, but who now faithfully and fearlessly held high the torch of revolt, upsetting the wary Vatican and the barracudas of Wall Street, and joyfully inflaming the atheism of the proletarian mystics won over by the tender yet menacing banner of a beautiful lady who, pierced by seven sorrows, gazed down on the sufferings of her people? One morning Amparo and I were driving along the coast after having attended a seminar on the class structure of the Lumpen proletariat. I saw some votive offerings on the beach, little candles, white garlands. Amparo told me they were offerings to Yemanha, goddess of the waters. We stopped and she got out and walked demurely onto the sand, stood a few moments in silence. I asked her if she believed in this. She retorted angrily, How could I think of such a thing? Then she added, My grandmother used to bring me to the beach here, and she would pray to the goddess to make me grow up beautiful and good and happy. Who was that Italian philosopher who made that comment about black cats and coral horns? It's not true, but I believe in it. Well, I don't believe in it, but it's true. That was the day I decided to save some money to venture a trip to Bahia. It was also the day I began to let myself be lulled by feelings of resemblance, the notion that everything might be mysteriously related to everything else later, when I returned to Europe, I converted this metaphysics into mechanics, and thus fell into the trap in which I now lie. But back then I was living in a twilight that blurred all distinctions. Like a racist, I believed that a strong man could regard the faiths of others as an opportunity for harmless daydreaming, and no more. I learned some rhythms, ways of letting go with body and mind. Recalling them the other evenings in the periscope, to fight off growing numbness, I moved my limbs as if I were once again striking the agogu. You see, I said to myself, to escape the power of the unknown, to prove to yourself that you don't believe in it, you accept its spells. Like an avowed atheist who sees the devil at night, you reason, he certainly doesn't exist. This is therefore an illusion, perhaps a result of indigestion. But the devil is sure that he exists and believes in his upside-down theology. What then will frighten him? You make the sign of the cross, and he vanishes in a puff of brimstone. What happened to me was like what might happen to a pedantic ethnologist who has spent years studying cannibalism. He challenges the smugness of the whites by assuring everybody that actually human flesh is delicious. Then one day a doubter decides to see for himself and performs the experiment. On him. As the ethnologist is devoured piece by piece, he hopes, for he will never know who was right, that at least he is delicious, which will justify the ritual and his death. The other evening I had to believe the plan was true, because if it wasn't, then I had spent the past two years as the omnipotent architect of an evil dream. Better reality than a dream. If something is real, then it's real, and you're not to blame.